0: Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm delighted to be joined by Seb Stafford-Bloor.
1: Hi Seb. Alright there, Joe Devine. I am
0: fine. How are you doing? I'm doing great. A big day of football, wasn't big it? Big day of football. Yeah. And a big day of football to be joined by... <laughs> <laughs> the Goblin's hero. <laughs> it's John McKenzie. Hey, John. <laughs> How you doing, buddy? Whee! Yeah. Do you really want me to do that? No, listen, you're not the goblin. Rune! As discussed, you aren't the goblin. You are just the hero the of, hero of, the, of goblins. the goblins. Maybe because you've emancipated the goblins. Maybe you've enabled the goblins to, I don't know, get normal jobs like bank teller or uh, ferry, ferry, people, ferry people. I don't know what normal jobs are, but maybe that's why. And anyway, uh, you're going to help us today by talking a lot about the football and not at all about goblins. Uh, But uh, what are we going to talk about today, John? Well, we're going to talk about South Korea and Portugal, aren't we? We're going to talk about Uruguay and Ghana. Switzerland, Serbia, that game's just happened. And of course, Brazil, Cameroon, although that one didn't, didn't matter as much. And a bit later, you're going to tell us, John, aren't you, all about how FIFA rankings work.
2: Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> My favourite. Yeah.
0: Is that why you're in a bit, a bit grumpy this morning?
2: No, absolutely not. The idea of talking about really complex ranking systems excites me.
0: That's what we love to hear. There we go. And if you're excited by complex ranking systems, then you might enjoy The Athletic. Theathletic.com forward slash Tifo. Theathletic.com forward slash Tifo, where no subject is too complicated to be conquered by one of the writers here. Yeah. Actually, that's not far that off was true, is it? Really nice. That well was done. pretty good. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Anyway, there you go. You can get The Athletic right now for one pan a month for six months. So uh, go and try it out. Please do that. And uh, with that in mind, I will leave you in the warm hands. And the cool embrace <laughs> of the Goblins hero. Yes, where else to begin? Uh, but with South Korea 2, one, Portugal, John. Um, this is a bit of a surprise.
2: Yes, although this was another one of those games where one of the teams had already qualified. And so they fielded a weakened side. Um, so, yes, it was it was on un, unexpected, I suppose. But when you consider that the Portuguese put out a second string team, um, and Cristiano Ronaldo who got an assist actually, although for the wrong team, um, which was I think the most enjoyable aspect of this game. But yeah, went went one one for a very long time, and then right at the end, the the Korean Republic got a a really nice transition goal. So uh, Son Hyung min with a really, really lovely pass to Hwang and yeah, that that changed things around and and meant that Korea Republic go through to the next stage of the tournament, which is quite fun.
0: That's pretty cool. Well, listen, I've just put a poll in the live chat to ask how far... Uh, Korea Republic can go in the tournament. I'm quite excited to hear. So maybe we'll come back to that a little bit later. But uh, Seb, it's nice to watch a game um, at this point, in which, because there were a couple today where the result actually ended up not mattering or not yeah. impacting the outcome at all. It was nice to watch a game uh, where there was a change of placement within the group, because of course uh, South Korea now going through in their group second place on four points. And I believe they're going to face, who is it they're going to face? They were second in Group H. They're going to face Brazil.
1: Ooh, in difficult. the next round, as far as I'm aware, which is a, a, a quite exciting for any football fan. Yeah, so this also involved one of my favourite football tropes, Joe, which is when you have a match on the, on the third group game, uh, in, in, the third match in the group, and one of them finishes early and they need... Something from the other game to fall their way to progress. You get a huddle of players in the centre circle. They've done everything they've can. They, they they can. They've won their game, and they're waiting for confirmation. And the TV camera kind of settles in them, and you see the moment of confirmation, and you see the mass moment of celebration as well amongst the South Korean players. Also, um, if you haven't seen it, try and find Mauricio Pochettino's reaction to South Korea's second goal. Mm. It's very very lovely. It's like him watching one of his own teams scoring. Um, obviously, he has a lot of um, residual affection for Son Heung Min after their time at Tottenham together. And I think um, he particularly enjoyed Son's three ball for Huang to score. Mm. Um, And it's great. It's like, I think one of the things we've talked about a couple of times over the past few days is the stories within it. Um, We said last night that this has been a very macro tournament in terms of the themes that we've discussed. But this was just old-fashioned football story, which is... um, Unfancied nation um, or underdog nation in a specific game upset the odds, go through clearly means an awful lot. There were some wonderful pictures of some of the South Korean players in tears. Also, clearly, what it, it meant an awful lot to some of the South Korean fans because some of their supporters were in tears at mm. the end as well. You started
0: to point out in the last couple of days uh, how much
1: you enjoy it when people cry. Yeah, but in happy tears, not not happy not tears. not bad. I, I'm not like I don't want to see crying children no. how right that. I just Sure. People overcome by emotion because I that's a that's a very affecting scene, but also like it's a uh, it feels like we need a little bit more in that tournament because it feels very far away in many ways, and it also feels like it's kind of um, uh, snapped its moorings for what a World Cup is supposed to be. In well, my
0: opinion, it's also ha- happened uh, as far as I have seen, yeah, um, uh, almost exclusively to to the to the, you know, quote, smaller teams at yeah. the tournament. So you can understand why a victory or or a loss may, may mean more. Can I ask you a question? Yes, of course. Have you ever cried at a football game?
1: Um I was, when Lucas Moura scored his winner in Amsterdam, I was strangely emotional about that. Right. That was very, I, I didn't ball or anything, but I, I, I don't get emotional about football usually, but I was then right. because it was so... uh it just doesn't happen to Tottenham, does it? <laughs> in Amsterdam, was it the semi-final? Yeah, the semi-final of the Champions League in 2019. And It was just, um, it was very, very overwhelming. It wasn't actually the moment itself. It was the way that everyone responded to it. Responded to it. Modric, Tina, in tears at the end, and what it clearly meant to some of the players. Mm. And um, and hearing Jermaine Genius cry in the commentary box during his commentary um, when I think um, I've always forget his first name, but Fletch, the BT commentator. It's Darren Fletcher. Darren isn't Fletcher. That's it. it yeah. That's him. Yep and sorry steve McMahon I'm always just calls him fletch sure anyway uh he was trying to get a response from Jermaine genus during the the commentary and he was just sort of gone mm. it was uh, it was very lovely it's pretty cool yeah it was but this was like i don't know like I, I think world cups in the lead up to world cup we talk about who's going to win right? who the favorites are who's going to knock out who in the semi-finals like you know who should the 25th man out of 26 be in the england team I think sometimes we forget that World Cups are built from these kind of moments. Like if you look back at stories from the past, yes, you remember who won and who who was the top scorer and that kind of stuff and who missed the penalty. But I think also you remember the symbolism of the games and what individual moments meant to fans who, in a lot of cases, have spent a lot of money going to watch their teams. Uh, in many um, cases have experienced logistical difficulties too and then you see that moment where for them it is worthwhile and that's uh, that's very very powerful
0: Have you cried at a football match John? No Um, Why is that?
2: I guess I'm not a really football crying kind of guy, I don't know I've been at emotional games. What's Um, the
0: most emotional that you found yourself at a football game?
2: I remember being at Elland Road for the lost to Derby County Oof. when we were going to, for, for promotion the first season under Marcelo Bielsa. And that was like shell shock, I would say, that emotion. Mm. Um, I have met. I think I mentioned before that I was at the game where Leicester City lifted the Premier League title and Andrea Bocelli sang. That was emotional in, in a different way. That was one. lovely. Yes. It? Um, but no, i never really been <clears throat> much of a crier in that sense. I cry at like films and like watching Jack Grealish be a decent human being with with kids. Sure, um, but yeah, not not really at the football. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm too stoic for that. I
1: don't think so. Misery in football doesn't necessarily cause you to cry. It causes that sort of that feeling you get of blood turning cold mm. in your body. So yeah. I remember one of my my earliest and most painful football memories was England losing the Euro '96 semi final and penalties to Germany. And I remember that feeling. You don't burst into tears. Well, some people might, and that's, that's all good. But I think for most people, it's just that kind of numbness that you get, um, rather than a kind of an actual tearfulness. The tearfulness generally comes from stuff which is about a little bit more than just the football, yeah. I think. Those are the things that John's just described. I'm honestly. also a Leeds
2: fan, so I've not really had anything to cry happy tears about. No, um, no. So, yeah. No. But definitely that feeling of like numbness that you've talked about there, where nothing really makes sense i think that was the thing that hit me in the derby county game is that we were absolutely cruising and then suddenly we ended up losing the game and you're just mm. sort of like what and then you go from this situation where you're like oh we're going to go to wembley to the playoff final and then to oh well here we are at ellen road and we'll be back here again next year playing millwall
1: yeah yeah i've always thought that actually the playoffs is among the cruelest moments in football because like it's not just you've lost a cup competition and next year you might have another six games or seven games to actually get back to a final. It's a, well, you've got another entire season yes. of slogging yeah. through the championship or League One or League Two yeah, to, to sure. get back to where you've been. It's That's brutal. Rough, it?
0: yeah. I'm trying to think of times where I've been emotional watching football. I think uh, during the Euros last year with what happened to Christian Eriksen. That was very difficult. That was, that was extremely difficult to watch. But also the way his teammates stood
1: around him was very moving. I remember when that happened, when we... We we're all here together, and I remember there was that scene where you could see what was happening to him. Yeah, um, and it was just horrible. I remember going outside. We we have an office um, just by the river. And I remember walking down by the river just because, like, ah, it just it's just nasty, just mm. a, a terrible, terrible moment. Yeah, and then producer Don telling us all that he was actually alive. Yes, and being kind of you have that awesome wave of relief that made me a little bit tearful. Mm. Yeah,
0: well, there we go. Okay, fine. Well, listen, uh, South Korea advancing, John. Um, it does. It feels like with this tournament, there have been a, Oh, I should say, actually, I put an, I put a different poll in the chat, and forty-two uh, percent of our audience have cried at a football match. That's really there interesting. There you go. That's quite nice to know, isn't it?
1: People should, um, people should tell us why over the course of the episode, maybe. Sure, that'd be fun. Sure, that would be fun. Um,
0: now, uh, John, um, it does feel like there's been an awful lot of, um, no pun intended, upsets at, uh, nice. at this uh, this tournament. Is that the case or am I just kind of misremembering how many there would be at a normal World Cup? But if it is the case, what's going on there?
2: Yeah, this is something that I've been thinking about a lot through the course of the the tournament. And it's it sort of goes back to the conversation that we perennially have about England, um, which is people think that Gareth Southgate should set the England team up to play much more expansive football, much more exciting football because he has pieces at his disposal to be able to, to play in that way. And one of the things that I've noticed is that it seems as though a lot of the teams who... Um, are losing in the group stages of teams who are maybe playing in that more expansive way. So part of the argument given is well you know Gareth Southgate is correct because he's setting the team up to to get as far as possible um, rather than teams like Germany who as everyone was has been saying, playing quite an aggressive defensive but an aggressive attacking way which leaves them open for for um, defensive transitions. Um, and I wondered whether or not there's something in th- this idea that maybe some teams are set up to be um, let me get this right. High, see- high floor, low ceiling teams, uh, which is teams who are going to be able to face anyone in the group stages and get through by playing fairly conservative football. But then teams who are high ceiling, low floor teams like Germany, where they are set up to play really well in the knockout stages against some of the elite teams, but they may be a little bit more risky in the in the group stages as well because they're playing. I guess more expansive football, which leaves them open to being counted on by teams like Japan or Saudi Arabia in the case Hmm. of Argentina.
0: I think you're going to have to ask some questions because we're being, uh, there's an influx, a deluge of of, of, uh, stories of people being emotional football games. So I'm going to go through them and you ask John some questions about what he just said, Seb.
1: Yeah. I mean, like the one that really uh, springs to mind actually, John is why this tournament? Why have we seen that development now? Because that's I've noticed it too, and I've I've sat with you through most of the games, and I completely agree with everything you have said. It's just that it seems like we've gone, we've made a little bit of a quantum leap from very passive underdog mm. football uh, to where we are now, and that's really strange.
2: Yeah, we, we talked about this a bit though, in insofar as if you play a low block, what you're doing is you're handing the initiative to the other team, and you're saying come at us over and over again. We're giving you a high volume of of potentially scoreable chances, and usually there's a talent mismatch. Like one of these teams will have. Uh, a striker who is going to cause you problems from from crosses into the box or whatever or someone who can break down a low block or unlock a low block with with technical ability and i think there's we've got to a point now where these teams are saying what's the point of us engaging in that gamble um and and so rather than just sitting deep allowing space in wide areas for example we're seeing i think these underdog teams pushing higher up the pitch trying to press teams in their own half to stop them from progressing the ball into the final third. Uh, And then we're seeing interesting approaches in terms of those wide areas. So for example, uh, Saudi Arabia against Argentina, I think they were very smart in that they recognised the different ways that Argentina have been generating chances in qualifying and they made it hard for Argentina to develop those sorts of attacks from wide areas. Um, And so, yeah, I think what we're seeing then is just probably a talent narrowing if, if if that makes sense, but also yeah. a lot of these players who are playing in in league, leagues around the world at the top level, um, they're just much more able to um, implement out of possession structures because that's what's happening across all of the leagues in in in, in well at the at the, top, at the highest level, uh, which allows them then to be able to be more aggressive out of possession. I think.
1: Do you think part of it is it, it's a theme we've touched on a little bit during the live streams, but. The idea I've I've got the South Korea and, and Portuguese teams in front of me, and what strikes me is that you've got a slightly rotated Portuguese side, but I'm also looking at the players not involved, and there's a sense that like some of the talent pools for these teams, particularly amongst the favourites, are so deep that there's this sense also that from an underdog's perspective, you just can't wait for a team to, to punch themselves out. Like you're not going to get that opportunity because um, okay, so for this Portuguese team. Um, you may survive an hour theoretically, but then I don't know um, someone like Rafael Liao is going to come on for Jean Mario yeah, yeah. on the other side. And that's kind of an intimidating thing. So it, in my mind, if I was a coach, that would encourage me to be a little bit more proactive rather than just kind of wait for um, my opportunity to occur after an hour and 20 minutes or something.
2: Yeah, and I think as well in those moments where you are able to transition, I mean, the moment that Korea Republic won the game was a moment where the ball was played to Son, who was a, a Spurs player Yes, at uh, the, uh, the very top, and he plays the ball through to Huang He Chan, who's a, a, a wolf. So again, another player who is playing you know, at the, uh, at the highest level. I think in previous years, Korea Republic wouldn't have been able to enjoy those, those sorts of players, being able to make those sorts of transitions. So I, I think what we're seeing now is teams with more ability across their squads being able to play better out of possession and then better in possession as well Um, and I think that it makes for great football because uh, World Cup as we've been saying a lot is you know it is a crapshoot there are going to be situations where you know the ball nearly goes out of play but doesn't and then Japan score and on the basis of that germany are going home and japan are going through that's that's the the nature of, of tournament sport and i think the narrowing of the gap between the teams that we're calling underdog teams and the teams yeah. the, the really elite teams are is, is a good thing for, for for the tournament but it does pose this this question then about how should you approach the 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 tournament as a as an elite side because i think the the issue has been with gareth southgate for me anyway that you get to the latter stages of the tournament and then you don't seem to have the the play style to be able to beat the teams that you're coming up against despite the fact that you've got the squads perhaps to to beat them and and that's the thing for for someone like hansi flick he's he's going into the tournament playing the style of play that he thinks is going to beat the teams in the latter stages of yeah. the tournament and it's unfortunately not enough to get him through the group stages but have they got through maybe they would have gone deeper than England. And so you have this sort of conundrum of like, how do you approach the group stages as a, as a team who has to maybe modify their approach in the group stages to then the, the the knockout stages? That
1: feels like a really modern development as well, because like previously 10, 15, 20 years ago, and obviously going back further, it felt like you could arrive in the tournament and you could just be yourself as a team. And the kind of the disparity in, in individual quality and, and sort of the power of a squad was so much that it didn't really matter because you'd have, A, the passive approach, but also then um, you, just, you just overwhelm the other side. So like that's, that was kind of typical of, I remember the, the 1998 group that England played in when they beat Tunisia and with quite a ropey performance, lost to Romania, and then beat Colombia. And none of those three performances were particularly good, but it kind of tuned them up through the group. Um, I've got a nerdy question for you, actually, because mm. it's a thing that's come up throughout the tournament. Almost every night we've spoken about transition um and different different teams and how good they are at transitional football now i recognize a transition and most other people watching would too like you, you see the kind of the quality of a move build you see kind of the roles different players are playing within it how do you coach that because like is that is that a shadow play situation is that a kind of um is that someone on a training ground um literally positioning someone in you know, one zone and then another and saying, right, when the ball goes here, you're doing this. And when this player has the ball, I want you to make that run up there. I'm pointing kind of northeast <laughs> for anybody who's listening on the podcast rather than watching on the live stream. How do, you, how do you become a good transitional football team other than just having a lot of players with pace and technique?
2: I think that there is logic and reason behind the way that you might approach these sorts of things. But I think they probably come... Before the stage where you're actually doing the transitioning, okay. Um, so, for example, you're, you're a Spurs fan, so yes. like Spurs are, are set up to be a transitional team, right? Yep. So you get the the deep build up, you get the baiting the opposition in to create space, and then you have players like Harry Kane, as uh, Son Heung Min, and and um, Kulusevski, uh, ideally in your front line because those three are are really good transitional players. I I think the best thing you can do in those situations is just brief familiarity between those front three so that they know what the other player is going to do because it, it comes down to these, these transitions always come down to doing everything in the right order yeah, and getting everything bang on. Right. So that was what, that was what happened in the career Republic game is that the ball was played to, to Son. He got, well, progressed the ball towards the goal, held onto it long enough to evade a challenge and then saw the run and played it. You just have to get all of those things right in the right order. So, teams i think teams with elite players are are going to be great at that because they the elite players are just really good at, at problem solving but i think a lot of it will come down to how do we generate the the these trans- transitional moments and then when we do tr- um, generate them how what's the relationship what's the socio effective relationship between the players involved in that transition what's it look like how's it going to going to work and i think that just comes from hours and hours on the training ground joe would you like back in yeah,
0: sure. I mean, I think, shall we have a quick break and when sure. we come back, we can carry on chatting? Yeah. Okay. Yes, there we go. What a delightful, a delightful break there. I took some notes from the comments section with a couple of different uh, examples of when people cried or were very emotional at football games. Would you like to hear them?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, the first one comes from uh, Vince Massara, Australia's qualification for the 2006 World Cup. Ah. Uh, John, uh, Aloisi's winning penalty. Was that against Urugu- uh, Uruguay? Not sure. Not sure. But uh, Vince says it still gets him now. Right. Uh, uh, Ali cried when Iraq won the Asia Cup. Biggest underdog yep. story in all football. That's very good. In fact, we have a do We have a video, video on
1: one. TV Illustrated. It's one of my favorite that.
0: videos. Yes. This one's slightly different. Omar, I cried during a game of football because I got a concussion and played on. And when we lost, I just started crying. Concussions are weird.
2: <laughs> I've had a concussion on a football pitch, and it is not a good thing. What, what happens to you? Um, well, I, what happened to you? I, got, I went up for a header and the person who was heading the ball... I got to the ball before the person who was challenging for the header with me. Was the, and was I went, the
0: person challenging a wall?
2: Well, they, they challenged my temple. So I headed oh. through the ball, moved the ball out of the way, and then he came through the side of my head. I was down on the floor, passed out for a few seconds, and my teammates were quite nervous. Yeah. I went off, but then someone had to leave and they were like, oh, you're standing up, you can come back on. And I yeah. just remember wandering around the pitch being like, I'm not entirely sure... Why oh I'm right. here, just in general, not just like why, why I have agreed to come back on. I was <laughs> just God. very confused about the state of the world and everything yeah. it's it's
1: really scary. so i I had um I had quite a few concussions. My last one was on the day that David Beckham scored his free kick against Greece at old Trafford. I was playing as a goalkeeper. and um I came sliding out on a on a wet pitch to to, you know, um, sweep up after a long ball came through. And um the forward chased through and slid in as well. Complete accident slid in and one of his, I think, foot, knee, um, caught me on the temple. And I remember nothing after that. And I remember sitting in the um I remember sitting on the coach because it was an away game afterwards. Mm. And we had the um we had the 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 England game on the radio and Beckham scored and everyone went crazy. I just sat there like this, just completely pale. Wow. also really frightening I couldn't read for three days afterwards. So obviously, I was at school, and so can you read now. I can read a little bit now. I'm, okay. I, it's better now, yeah. because it, you know. It's been twenty years, and sure. over time, of course, that comes back. Yeah. But I remember being in a um, in a in a lesson on the Monday morning, and I was I was reading, and I could read the words, but that bit where they sort of your brain interprets well, them and deciphers what they mean just was missing. Three days
0: it's later. It's really frightening. Wow. Really okay, frightening. well, th- yeah, we, there we go. We feel home Don't her. get
2: concussions. Be careful. Basically, yeah. Is the moral of this story.
0: Uh, Gage Wilson, uh, I cried uh, from California in the USA and have been a Liverpool fan uh, uh, my whole life when I got to Anfield for the first time to see a game. Couldn't keep it together, says Gage. Oh, bless. Um, Adam, this one's interesting. I had heart arrhythmia that caused a heart attack in 2017 when I was 22. I was watching the Denmark game When Ericsson collapsed, full-on lost it. Fair enough. Good Lord. (laughs) Anyway, uh, thanks so much. I mean, there were so many uh, uh, stories there. Um, I also got a good question while I was in the chat from Jabril. Jabril asks, um, after the conclusion of the group stages, what are the things that we will miss from these kinds of group stages that have four teams in given that the next world cup is it am i right in thinking that it will yeah. have three yeah. team groups 48 teams three team groups yeah. yeah so what will we what will we miss about that i mean i guess it's you know the what we've seen tonight what we saw last night
1: and this kind yeah. of idea that
0: someone else pointed out no nine pointers by the way no teams have, have, have won every single game
1: no that's that, I mean, but then i i think we've we've observed off camera that actually we've been quite lucky with the jeopardy on the final group day mm. uh also this idea that on that third game, when when the matches are happening simultaneously, the landscape is continually shifting and it's exciting and interesting and and one goal changes everything. And then you see things like the news filter through to the other stadium and players having to react and managers making substitutions on the fly to, to kind of alter a game again. And mm. I, you know, today was a really good example of it because obviously Uruguay felt they had the game won, took off Luis Suarez and then... Their situation changed and Suarez was left helpless on the bench watching his international career end.
0: Also crying. Also crying. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, before we move on from the emotional talk, um, I've pinned a comment in the live chat of what I think is the best sports YouTube video. Uh, It is by... Let me just open it up again so I can get the the proper uh, name. It is by... uh, Le I think this, I think it's a French channel. It's all clips, all of the best clips put together. It's like 16 minutes long and it's got uh, that song by uh, um, M83, the outro. is okay. such a good, oh my God, it's such a good video. I watch this video, I would say once every six months and have done for however long it's, you know, four years. Fantastic, fantastic video. Uh, anyway, I've pinned it. Go and watch it. Uh, after you're done with us. Don't leave no, now. Don't leave now. As We'll see the uh, the live stream viewers dwindle. Um, but anyway, fine. Let us discuss then, as you just began to, Uruguay 2, uh, nil Ghana, <coughs> Seb. Bit of a dis- disappointment uh, for us because we were uh, hanging out a little bit earlier on with, uh, with Karl Anker, who was yeah. um, sad for Ghana to lose, of course. Um, And of course, the Ghana coach, uh, Otto Addo, has resigned since.
1: Yeah, about an hour ago, he has resigned. Still not quite sure as to why or what the um, justification is there, but he has resigned. This was... Let's say this to begin with, because I felt like this was lost amidst all the talk of 2010 and Suarez and handballs and that kind of thing. Um, Uruguay are a pretty talented side. And I think, um, realistically, in any game between them, Uruguay would be considered a favourite. So had gone a one today, that would have been an upset. Um I felt, and this this might be me um overemphasizing the narrative, but it felt as if what happened in 2010 was a little bit too prominent today for, for Ghana. Mm. Don't blame them at all for that because if that was if that had happened to me or my country, I think I would feel the same way. I don't think you get over something like that because it's just so cruel. Um and that's not me attributing blame to Suarez necessarily. It's just what happened, but it was a terrible thing to happen. Um a terrible kind of footballing trauma to experience. Um, and psychologically, Uruguay were in a very good place for this game. They they managed a lot of it very well. I mean, even to the point where Suarez's presence on the pitch was antagonistic, I felt. Like um, Suarez did Suarez things. He um he was at the heart of both goals. The second Uruguayan goal is an absolute picture, it's a beautiful piece of football. It really was. It was um tremendous. Uh, and converted by a really crisp volley by Da, da Geta. I think I pronounced that right? Mm-hmm. Pronunciation King? think yeah. so. Uh, people's Pronunciation King. Mm, yeah. Thank you. Um, and pronunciation Hero, I prefer. Okay, fine. Yeah. You could see Ghana getting more frustrated by what was happening, and you could see every time a Uruguayan player went down, um, there was agitation. When Ghana won their penalty, which Andre Ayo missed, he, <laughs> the Ghanaian players uh, guarded the penalty spot mm. to avoid, um, you know, to prevent a Uruguayan player from trying to scuff it up and affect the kind of the, the contact area with the ball, um, uh, which was a very strange thing to see. I mean, it, reasonable because when, when one of the, your country's um, potentially most sort of defining moments is affected and ruined by a missed penalty, that's the kind of thing that you do. Darwin Nunez got booked trying to scuff up the penalty spot anyway. And I, I just... It was too, there was too much angst in this game. And I think sort of emotionally, that's quite a, that's a place where Uruguay are comfortable to go. I think these are kind of, uh, I don't I don't know what quite the right word is for this, but there's a, um, it's just an area which they seem to, to thrive in. Um, these are talented players. These are players that are capable of winning in multiple different ways. Um, these are, this is a seemingly a very cohesive side full of players that kind of want to fight for each other. Um, And yeah, it just, it felt like Ghana were playing against Uruguay, but also playing against what happened 12 years ago too. Mm. And that's very sad. I think, um, I think there was some, John, you didn't, you don't have any tactical observations. You wouldn't mind if I if I okay so um one of the things that kind of oh I've I've done this This is my favorite
0: it. bit of the podcast is when uh, Seb tries to detach the pen from the side of the uh, the tactics
1: So board. the problem last night was that someone had put the pen in a bit too much, a bit sure, too far and it someone. was hard to someone. Yeah. And then I kind of I moved the board while I was trying to get it out. That's right, yeah. Um yes, J- John is writing. Um is doing the the JJ thing. Oh no, John's writing. Seb. Um, <laughs> I want to talk um kind of positively about Ghana because um I was really um taken by um Ham who uh, he's shown here in, in what looks like a, a number nine or a false nine position. It's really not how he played. He was more just, I mean, he was probably uh, Garner's most advanced player for much of the game. At the same time, he spent much of it also sort of roaming this central channel. Um, you know, he was almost go as far back as between his own two central midfielders behind Andre Ayo, Jordan Ayo, um, and Aki Williams, too. Um, he is. We don't judge players purely on what they do in a World Cup. I think the reasons for that are fairly well-known. I'm actually doing a video about it right now. I wrote it this, this morning. Yeah. Um, but uh, what a wonderful footballer. Yeah. Just this Hard comp-
0: not to get a bit carried away. Well,
1: mainly because... like, Not necessarily because I don't think he did today, Joe. Although like, he was really valuable, sort of picking the ball up sort of 30 yards from um, the Uruguayan goal. Mm. Typically beating a player. Not Benzikor, because he went off in the first half. And then creating some kind of shooting chance, either for himself or... Hoping that one of the sort of the um, the wide forwards or Andre Aya behind was able to kind of provide some support and 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 find a, a running angle. Mm. Bukidis to me, he's like Moussa Dembélé, the Tottenham midfielder, not the the Leon forward, in the sense that he has this amazing combination of attributes. Like he's um, he's very powerfully built, and so he's got a really low centre of gravity. He's very strong on the ball, but he's incredibly technically gifted too. Mm. And so what you have is this player that has a really it's quite thick set, difficult to knock off the ball, really good at shielding it from an opponent. So if mm. he was to, for instance, and for podcast listeners, I'm showing him kind of with his back to two midfielders. So he, he can receive the ball with his back to, to kind of um to opponents, spin away from them, but with a, an element of disguise, which you typically don't associate with players who um have his body shape. And honestly, like I know he's played, uh, he's kind of led the line for Ghana. He spent a lot of his season playing as a number nine for um, for Ajax two. Not necessarily that successfully. I think you could play him, and this is really the root of his value, you could play him as... Uh, a kind of modern number 10 which is really a sort of a, a, an eight really mm-hmm. um you could play him as a six because he looks awfully comfortable receiving the ball off his defenders he's so gifted like i i can't believe that when january comes round, that everton are going to be his only option again i'm sure good move for him i'm sure but like there'll be this other is clubs. a fun
2: topical conversation though isn't it because are you having fun uh, yeah join in uh, i was going to say who is going to be moved on in the january transfer window off the back of the world cup because like, it feels like there's going to be well, so. If
0: Kudos is on the
1: list. Who else is on your list, John?
2: Oh, I don't know. I hadn't really, I hadn't really thought about so it. Was was I? I?
1: What, what, what John thinks about it. Like I, I went to buy Leverkusen a couple of weeks before the World Cup, and I had a chance to speak to Simon Rolfs, who is the um, the director for sport. That, mm. He's kind of like that's that's a sort of Leverkusen's version of sporting director. And we asked him whether uh, very,
0: very sort of quirky, isn't it? The,
1: yeah. how they've switched that around. Well, it's because um, <laughs> the director for he took Rudy Foller's uh, job there and the idea was to kind of yeah, replicate yeah. the position that he had.
0: I'm laughing mainly because of the number of different uh, job title types there Sporting are director, all these different clubs. Technical director, it's kind of the same thing. Managing right? director football. Sure.
1: Right. So he said, um, when we asked him about the World Cup, he said, we're not sending a single scout there. Mm-hmm. Because... Clubs don't use the World Cup as a kind of talent evaluation for them anymore. They, sure. like, it's just another game that they log into a database. It might be like, you might take a little detail about something. Like, oh, player um, does well in high pressure situations, potentially. Yeah. But the idea of going and be like, oh, he's good. What's his name? Mohamed Kudus. I might yeah. sign him that, that era is over. the
0: scouts are gutted aren't they
1: yeah because the scouts free trip to the world cup. Been oh. dining out on world <laughs> cup restaurants
0: for for years on the work credit card. Say, hey, john mckenzie we all know this the scouts they've been out there haven't they in the cafes having uh you know hot drinks on the company dime you yeah. know what i'm saying and just having a great time at the world cup yeah your comeuppance is here scouts I don't, I mean, I don't hey, feel, I don't an, feel an, uh, in towards, towards the scouts, just to be clear. I was just, uh. I've just got trying a name for John, a, by the way. Just trying to
1: do a bit there. In terms of kind of players who might move as a result of the mm-hmm, World mm-hmm. Cup. Mm-hmm. Sofian Amrabat. Ah, uh, yes.
2: He's playing in Serie A. Which yeah,
1: he?
0: plays yeah. in Fiorentina. Um, now, I know that name. Yes. Why do I know that name?
1: Uh, because he's been very, very good at the base of Morocco's midfield. But I knew he was at the base of a yeah.
0: midfield, but I couldn't remember whose.
1: Yeah. Mm. So he's, um. Yeah, he's someone I think who. Like, I don't think Morocco work without Amrabat at the moment. I think he's kind of the key to a lot of things. Um, and I think that might be, although no one would ever admit it, that might be an example of someone going to a World Cup, playing in a slightly better team than, than his club side is. And people seeing a little bit more of him, and the kind of like, oh, there's a range to him. He's he's a slightly better player than we thought he is. I think his reputation is sore during the World Cup. Mm. Whether that's the right thing to believe, and whether like someone spends thirty million pounds, and actually it's all nonsense. Maybe that, I'm I'm sure that that that's a kind of caveat there. But um, yeah. no doubt that like people will look at him and think, actually, you know, in the search for uh, a player of that mould, someone that secures your midfield, and someone that provides security for. Uh, more technically able players to go and play yeah for sure that kind of player is always in demand right
0: I've got one as well maybe if you're still having to think about who might be on your list John I, um, <clears throat> I've, I've watched this player mostly for the first time think they're really under the radar think they're really exciting and under the radar Mbappe it's Mbappe <laughs> I think Mbappe should be signed by someone I think he's good
2: I think uh, Mason Mount should be signed by someone oh, yeah. <laughs> should we you, talk about that I mean, you can if you want.
0: I mean, uh, your Twitter no- notifications and then subsequently mine out of Solidarity were already burned all day. But I, I'll tell people who are listening who, don't, don't, who wouldn't be aware of that, who, who don't just stalk us all day. <laughs> um, we made a video that went out this morning on the Tifo Illustrated channel. And it's called, what does Mason Mount actually do? Now, yeah. I think that's a very interesting question because Mason Mount is one of those sort of illusory players who is clearly talented. I thought that was a given. Apparently not. Uh, Clearly talented, but it's not quite clear what role is his. You know, he's like almost, he almost reminds me of a a kind of like high level version of a player who's 17 Mm. and whose final position Mm. is yet to be completely defined. So in my mind, it's not clear that they play here or there or whatever. And uh, John, you wrote the script for this video, talked about all the things he's good at and prominently talked about why uh, the managers that he plays for repeatedly pick him over other players and what those reasons for that might be. Um, anyway, the video goes out, you do a tweet about it, and then... I, oh, noticed, I didn't even do a tweet no, about the, it, it the, came the, out from The Tifa account, account did one, yeah. I noticed this morning, I was like, good lord, there's a lot of people who really don't like <laughs> Mason Mount. It turns out there's a whole controversy, not from us, but that already pre-existed, uh, about uh, people saying, uh, oh, it's, it's Mason Mount's PR on the case again, <laughs> or like, here's the journalists on the take or something. I mean what possible motivation could that be for saying Mason Mount is good? It's so stupid. It's, kind of like it. it's so stupid. <laughs> God Lord, law honestly it's the I mean it's fine it doesn't matter it's not it's not a big deal but honestly like why well, like 300 replies to this This is what
2: breaking
1: like this is 13 days in we've been not getting a lot of sleep I'm not broken, doing this but I like. just I honestly think
0: I it's so funny to me that, like that this is this is something that w- there would be such a a weird toxic uh, community it's, for. It's like it's got it's, it must have its own subreddit or something. Like expect these people are going to the same Christmas we're, parties. We're now on the subreddit. We're on the sub, yeah <laughs> yes. well, the prime the prime victim to the subreddit. Anyway, I think it's weird. Mason Mount is clearly a good footballer. What he actually does best on the pitch is up for debate, for sure. And if Chelsea fans don't, you know, some Chelsea fans don't like him, that's obviously their, their
1: own prerogative. But ha- I've never known there to be such vitriol. I don't understand the anger. I like it. Liking or I not don't liking, get it either. Well, not, not liking a player is absolutely Fine. I just don't understand why it's such an angry issue. Yeah. I don't I don't understand that. Mm. Uh, but I'm not a Chelsea fan, so.
2: Should we get back to happier things? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. just a few players <laughs> coming to the top of my head. There's been some good ones in the chat, actually. The chat chat very knowledgeable. Uh, but Cody Gakpo oh, yeah. obviously Cody Gakpo is the one that sure. he's, he's coming to the end of his contract so we'll be moving on I think
0: what is he 24 years old
2: something like that yeah. 23 young, 24 23. something like that
1: yeah, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and we have to say Harry Suter because um, you know the Australian people hate me enough as it is so yeah. we'll throw him on there but he's had an excellent tournament and is at Stoke City so he's a very movable honourable Mitch G um, too
1: if you're going to talk with the Australian guys mm-hmm. I think he's been good
2: um, yeah yeah Josco um, Gvardiol. I think he sort of became prominent in the last tournament, but um, he he definitely had a good a, a good tournament and will be moving somewhere at some point. Uh, I think Gradio um, absolutely Ritsu Doan for
0: the Japanese player. Japanese player, oh, I love that guy.
2: Freiburg. So Freiburg are a team who move <laughs> players on quite readily, anyway. Yeah.
0: So I suspect. does that mean you, we talked about him a lot last night? And I thought of you because you you support Freiburg
2: who's um, been absolutely excellent for Freiburg. You wouldn't want season. him to leave, presumably. No, but what Freiburg do so well is it, they make you fall in love with players and move them on and then bring someone else who you fall in love with as well. So yeah. last season I was in love with Nico Schlotterbeck. Uh, now I'm in love with Ritsu Doan, among, amongst others as yeah. well. So yeah. um, Hinkapie as well, Pierre Hinkapie at um, Leverkusen, a uh, really good ball ball playing centre-back. I think he will, he will be moved on. And uh, there have been rumours about uh, Tyler Gus- Adams, Tyler Adams, yeah, sure.
1: Moosa in the American midfield too, the Valencia player. Like yep. I've really liked him. Mm. I think he's been good. Mm.
2: Yeah, so plenty, plenty of of potential movers and shakers. Yeah. In, in January. I'm just
0: going to say one more thing about Mason Mount. Yeah, this is it. <laughs> I tried is to the, move you on, but you're. This is the last thing I'll say about Mason Mount. Okay, I'm not a football expert. I don't, you know, but all of the Chelsea managers are. <laughs> yeah, they all are. And the England manager is, yeah? And they repeatedly pick that player to play in their team. I mean, what more evidence do you need that that is a good football player? Don't take my word for it.
1: Huh? It's a funny thing because Mason Mount has been a kind of um, Wunderkind from as long mm. as anybody can remember. <laughs> for as long as anybody Moves can remember. Moves to Germany for what? That's, six months. That's
2: Wonder kid for the people who aren't fluent in German <laughs> in the chat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so when, when Mason Mount was playing age group football for the England team he was this is the fe- people expected him to be the future of the England senior side and so there's always been this perception that like he's just been promoted and promoted and promoted I, I just I, I don't understand why he's so objectionable I, I there are England games where I think he should play and where I don't think he should but sure um, yeah I'm not saying he's the best player in the world do you know what no, Every, no, everything
0: yeah. I've said is a tweet I would have deleted as a draft. That's what this it's is. It's not really worth the. It's not really no. worth the engaging. No, 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 Everything no. I've said about it, I would have written it out and then gone. Yeah, yeah I don't Wonder how
2: high up the list of like central midfielders who can attack a bit Mason Mount actually is though, because it's, it's, it's not when you think about it like that. There's not a lot of them at that level. Sure. So you could he's feasibly in like the top fifty midfielders in the world. That's mad, isn't it? It's
1: and yet, and yet people,
2: and yet people think he's think he's awful. Yeah. Should yeah. we go for a really expensive dinner, like so now, <laughs> yeah. now we've said that. Now we've earned our <laughs> cash. Yeah.
1: Can I? Can I? Um, can I? Uh, not an under the radar suggestion, but mm. I, I, I'm. Mbappe. Almost, I'm amazed by how good Lucas Modric still is. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. is like I was saying to JJ yesterday. We we're watching. Uh, uh, there are times where I watch him play at the moment. I think, is he better? Here's a question for you. Than he used to be. Could like, a team. Could a team buy
0: Luka Modric for two years? What do you think? Two-year contract, Luka Modric.
1: Which team? I
2: don't
1: know. Any, any team. Big like, team? There's not many that he wouldn't improve. Like he's Arsenal. Yeah, I quite like that. Now I've said it out loud. What do you think? Yeah, of course, like Luka, Luka Modric he, to Arsenal. I object to it as a Spurs fan. Sure. Yeah, but like I mean, there aren't many places that he couldn't go and start. I think it's probably. It's mad say. to
2: think Modric was at Spurs, isn't it? It's it is so A long really. time ago. A long, long time ago.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay, fine. What time? What time are we on, producers? We're on four. Okay, let's have another. Let's have another break. And when we come back, we will talk about a bit more football. Yes. Okay. Switzerland three 2 Serbia. This was a. This was a very exciting game. Uh, what happened in this one, John?
2: I'm just trying to find it on the board.
0: Oh well. What happened in this one, Seb?
1: Well, really good first half. Mm. Uh, two two at half time. Um, <laughs> a lot of tension in it. There's a lot of ill feeling, which goes back to 2018 and the kind of the. Um, you know the the uh, animus between some of the Serbian players, or most Serbian players, and um, Jadon Jakiri and Granit Shaka, but. It was. It didn't really boil over until probably about an hour in, John. I would say, and 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 for the most part, there is some really good football played. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of different things to admire, which I think John will speak about in more depth. I know he's kind of interested in um, the selection of Mitrovic and Vlaovic up front. I'm um, not sure I've ever seen
0: John as satisfied as when really Mitrovic scored. You just kept saying over and over again, "That's a really, really good goal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a perfect goal." He really liked. I've it. never seen a goal like that. It, I loved that goal.
2: It was. It's not that I've never seen a goal like that before, yeah, you didn't but say it's that. A, one. It's that you, what everything that happened was what you thought is going to happen mm. before it happened, and then it happened.
1: Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. That's what it was. Yeah. It was like it, really it was perfectly. like
2: the the passes went in the right area, the cross went in the right area, the run was in the right, and and Mitrovic didn't even have to change his run. He just glanced the header into and it was just everything about it was perfect it was was a really
0: lovely finish yeah
2: and and it was a really fun game Mm -hmm. in terms of what was going on tactically so i talked a little bit at the beginning of the tournament about why serbia are quite fun because they're one of the few teams who are playing two out and out nines yes and then they promptly didn't do that in any of the games apart from this one so we finally had vlaovic um starting alongside mitrovic and we talked about it in the previous game because what happened if you look on the board Uh, in previous games is that Tadic had played alongside Mitrovic, so Vlaovic hadn't played, and then Milinkovic Savic played as a, as the 10 behind them, Mm -hmm. or the, the more attacking midfielder of the, of the three. And, it just basically threw everything slightly off. Everyone was sort of pushed up one. Whereas when Vlaovic was available, then everyone just sort of moved back into their better positions, essentially, uh, and, and made this work a little bit better. Um, but yeah, it great fun just watching two out and out nines. Cause you just, we don't, we, I mean, we spent half of this tournament talking about how there's no nines, like proper, proper nines, whatever that means. Mm. Um, and, and then we got a game with, with two. Yeah. absolutely top level elite number nines playing and they both scored in their own different ways um so Mitrovic with the header and then Vlaovic doing that sort of that sort of finish that he has in his in his toolbox which is looks like he's not going to score gets somehow contact on it and then it seems to dribble into the bottom corner somehow yeah. um running through the middle so yeah that was it was great for fans of, of number nines in that respect
1: I, let me add a third number nine because I thought uh, brilliant Bolo was absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Like and Bolo, is someone who for a long time was expected to be a, like a real force in European football. If you go back to his time at Basel, when he signed for Schalke, people thought that's what a brilliant deal because he was actually rumoured to go to Manchester United at the time. Like everyone is every single summer, admittedly, but he he suffered some terrible injuries. He had a um, uh, he had a I think it was a, a fractured ankle and or lower leg uh, in his first season at Schalke. It took him years to, you know, regain his fitness, but also at the same time, Schalke was a, a disaster zone for quite a few years before their relegation from the Bundesliga. And this is the first tournament, I think, because this wasn't really the case in the European Championship 18 months ago. Mbolo looks healthy um, and you can see the full range of his abilities. Now, you know how... Um, how after a game, people put YouTube compilations together of like all oh, John McKenzie touches and skills against Manchester United. Do you find one of them bolo? Watch it. That everything he does is so selfless and so kind of, he works so hard and it's all, all of his contributions are like laced with like a perfect understanding of how to protect the ball, like, but also for where his teammates are too. And you see that's like, a perfect example of a lone forward working really, really hard for his team. Mm-hmm. But then also at critical moments, having the class to sort of, um, you know, for the second goal, make the run to the back post. But for the third goal, make the run, which sets up the goal, which I think Remo Freela eventually scores at the back post. It's a beautiful goal that it's probably one of my favourites of the uh, of the group stage, but he was just superb. and And I think it's, It's a nice story because he's still only i think it's 24 or 25 um but one of the two um he's still in his mid-20s feels
2: 24 until he's 25 he certainly is that is
1: definitely definitely true um even though it feels like he's been around forever so it's really nice to see maybe um the beginning of a second act he's at monaco now and it seems to be going relatively well for him but um just great performance and it's sort of you know, when I player there's a lot of hype around a player when he's a teenager and people kind of dismiss him and then eventually he comes back and everyone's like, actually, he is a player and he's kind of having his moment in a really important game because this is a, you know, okay, it's not the most high profile game, but this is a very, very big game for all sorts of different reasons, footballing mm. and political. And um, he was, uh, yeah, he was certainly among the Swiss match winners.
2: I wanted to talk a little bit about just the way that Switzerland were trying to cause problems for, for Serbia, actually, because Serbia playing in a... In a three-five-two formation, as we've said, and they've got wing backs here and here. So the big, the big challenge is always going to be in these sorts of games, like how do we exploit these areas in behind the the wing backs uh, and with the narrow back three? And I think that that Switzerland did some really nice things to do that. Obviously, Mbolo is part of that. But what what was fascinating about what they were doing is that they were often building through the middle in order to sort of draw draw the the, the three centre backs in again, just making more space in these sorts of areas. They also had their fullbacks pretty conservative so they're not getting that high up the pitch um so that means that essentially you're you're pinning the fullbacks a little bit as well so you're a, again generating more space in these sorts of areas but yeah embolo um I didn't mean to do that embolo really really good at dropping in to help out um picking the ball up and then and then allowing the ball to be feathered through into these sorts of areas um so we saw Shakiri into, into the wide areas. into the wide areas sorry on either side um we saw Shakiri score in the, in the first half from, from one of those moments. And actually the. The second goal for, for Switzerland came from actually I think it was Vidma getting into this kind of area where the Swiss build up through the middle has pulled everything quite tight generated space to run into in behind the fullback uh, and then Vidma gets the, the ball in and then Embolo is doing that other thing that you want your centre forward to do which is getting in behind the line of the defence as well uh, and finishing at the back post so really really smart ways of developing space in those wide areas which is what you want to do against a 3-5-2 and yeah they, they very much deserved uh, to go through uh, on the basis of this game i think mm.
0: okay uh brazil nil won cameroon so that was the other game we didn't pay a huge amount of attention to it because brazil were already through uh but cameroon won
1: yeah and it's absolutely <laughs> so vincent is box office uh mm. just a brilliant brilliant header to win the game one of those where his weight is kind of distributed in the wrong way and it kind of suited really more to a flick header and yet gets um I suppose enough neck on it to actually redirect it in back across goal and score he then takes his shot off to celebrate gets a second yellow card and gets sent off <laughs> and it's just like that's it i mean why
0: not i guess if you know absolutely if you know you're going yeah. out of the tournament blaze of glory right Blazer that's glory. it you know absolutely.
1: um Cameroon, i have to say like i cameron better than i expect them to be mm. um just unlucky that kind of the the results didn't really drop for them yeah um but be Abubakar is a—he's an interesting guy. Like I, 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 it was fun listening to Carl the other night talk about him and the, kind of some of the controversies he's got involved with around Afcon and Mohamed Salah and, yeah. and that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, but we we kind of made the the, the choice to, to both watch the service Switzerland game because we thought that's where the group would be decided. And cool. we have to kind of make those difficult choices in you know when when the game are simultaneous. Yeah. So we um, we focused on the other one.
0: Yeah, Brazil seemed to change up their entire team though. Just looking at the the starting lineup again, I guess they are uh, of the opinion as we discussed a couple of days ago that it's better to rest players when you're already through than it is to uh, keep that uh, team momentum playing together john
2: yeah i mean i it i still don't necessarily get why you would do that other than to make the whole squad feel as though they're involved mm. um personally over such a small sample size of games as a coach i think i would probably want to work on things that I've picked up in the first two games and try and iron those problems out. But mm-hmm. again, maybe it's just a case of what we were talking about before, which is you might not be playing a particularly representative game. Like the, the game that Cameroon are playing against Brazil isn't going to be one that they're going to expect to play after the round of 16. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe there's not really that much benefit in it anyway. But um, as we were talking about before, when when we are talking about transitions, like one of the benefits that you get from having more games together is that your your attacking units, for example, will know, where their teammates are going to move and and how they think and stuff because a lot of these guys won't be playing together that often regardless of the fact that you're playing you know qualifying games all the way through the year it's it's i just always think in these situations it's better to get the experience than it is to get the rest Um, but Mm. that's based on nothing other than my gut feeling so clearly other coaches don't feel that way so i
1: think i'm right in saying that actually there was a edison made a really really good save in this game and it was actually from uh, you know, at the time, the first shot the Brazil okay. had faced on target mm. during the whole competition, which mm-hmm. is quite interesting. The only thing I'd say, like, I, I, I agree almost entirely with John. I just think that there is virtue in in starting someone like a Martinelli who nearly scored with a really good header. A pass he made a, a fabulous save, to, to deny him. Like, to get a few minutes and like Martinelli, Martinelli's selection was a little bit controversial back in Brazil. Some people didn't like it at all. They didn't think he'd earned it. Um, and so it's a special circumstance, admittedly. But if he was to score, then maybe you have your kind of equilibrium back and you quiet some of the, the kind of conversation around your score place. Mm. But other than that, yeah, I I agree. It's like, um, you know, a bit of chemistry never hurt anybody, really. really.
0: Okay, well, there we go. Now we have uh, all of the Round of 16 games lined up. Uh, Netherlands play the United States. This is on the the Group A, C, E, G bracket. I looked at the bracket for the first time last night so I can see who's going to face nice. who potentially On one side, we've got Netherlands against the United States, Argentina, Australia, Japan, Croatia, and now we have Brazil, South Korea. I think that is definitely the easier side of the bracket because on the other side, there's England, Senegal, France, Poland, Morocco, Spain, and Portugal, Switzerland. Portugal, Switzerland is going to be a stodgy game, isn't it?
2: Yeah, that looks like it's going to be one of the stodgiest games of that that group, I think. (laughs) Yeah. It's a really interesting mix of teams, isn't it, across yeah, the, sure. the tournament? Um, yeah.
0: It, it also means that we, on the on the one hand, we would we are most likely to have, let's say, for example, we do have um, the favourites that are expected to get all the way through to the mm. final. We're most likely to have an all-European semi-final on one side and an all-South American semi-final on the other. Brazil, Argentina on the left, and I mean of England, France, um, uh, Spain, Portugal potentially. Um, of course, you know, wouldn't be surprised, having seen how well Morocco have played, for example, that they go fairly far. Yeah, I agree. I, I,
1: I want Brazil, Argentina. You know, I feel like I've earned that in the semi-final. Yeah,
0: Brazil, Argentina, World Cup semi-final. I, I yeah, want that. that that's I have to have that now because we 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 worked quite. I have to have that now. there's Seb's demanding side coming <laughs> out. Okay, well, that, that's fairly exciting, isn't it? Cool. Um, we ha- we are going to talk about FIFA ranking, uh FIFA rankings, and how the system works. Before we do that, can I ask the pr- uh, production gang: Are we able to play? Uh, the the band summer's version of points are bad a bit later. Is that already lined up? Yeah, that is perfect, perfect. I just, do you know what? I feel like that one today. Yeah, that was nice, okay. wasn't it? Yeah, that was fair. Yeah. Now, John, let's discuss FIFA rankings, yeah?
2: My favourite.
0: We had this conversation because Belgium, who are bad and out, yeah, uh, or were bad during the tournament and out, are, are technically ranked second in the world in the FIFA ranking system. And that seems a bit nuts to me. Uh, so I was curious to know how the ranking system actually works, why it's the case that Belgium are second when there yeah, are clearly so got, better teams.
2: I've got the FIFA men's rankings on the board in front of me, so Brazil are top and then Belgium are second and have been First or second, I think, since 2018. So yeah. they've been there or thereabouts for quite a while now. Who else uh, have we got on the list? We've got Argentina, then France, then England, then Italy, then Spain, then Netherlands, Portugal and Denmark. Right. Um, and this is correct as of October the 6th, mm-hmm. it's worth saying at this point. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of games played in between that that, that time frame. So there will be change afoot. Uh, um, but yeah, the big question is well, how Belgium still still there and I think to answer this question we need to have a certain amount of context given so in 2018 the FIFA world rankings which had been running since 1992 in various guises they decided that they needed uh, to change uh, the way that they were doing things now before that point what had been happening was a simple point system so there was an algorithm that worked out how many how many points you would get for beating a, a team and you got that 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 number of points, and what would happen is that it would average out over a four-year period, Mm. um, and that would be the the ranking system that you would get. But there was a problem with this, and that problem was that well, I've got I think I've got it on this next next slide. So this is a slide from FIFA's own. pdf explaining the new system that was brought in in 2018 as you can see here um they've they've said they're adjusting the game weightings to give less importance to friendly matches because what was happening is that uh, because of the algorithm that was used to apportion points before 2018 if you played in an international friendly it gave you fewer points than you would do if you were playing a competitive match and because your ranking was then based on an average of points across four years if you were playing friendly matches you're your ranking points would go down. And so what we saw... So teams don't
0: all play the same number of friendlies. Right? Yeah,
2: sure. Yeah. And there were some teams who recognised this. Mm. They they read the small print and they realised that actually it's better for us to not play friendly. Nerd
0: teams reading the small print. Yeah. <laughs> it's come on, that's like major nerd teams. It is
2: quite nerdy. But so so, for example, Wales and Romania, I think, went through periods of just not playing any friendly games because yeah. it bumped their ranking points up. And it meant that then when they were being put into pots for... Uh, tournament selection, they would get in a higher pot. Mm. Um, So obviously there was an issue here. So things had to change. So in 2018, um, FIFA brought in this new system, which was, which is called SOM, S-U-M. Yeah. Um,
0: That's very catchy.
2: What they did was they moved from, that point system that I've talked about already where you're averaging points out over a four year period to an ELO rating system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what an ELO rating system is, Joe, don't you? I
0: sort of do, because you say it to me when we play video games a lot. <laughs> and, I, and I go, yes, John, that's absolutely yes. The the e the ewo ELO, yes, that's right. What is it? What so, is
2: that? Yeah, Arpad ELO was a, was a Hungarian dude who worked, wanted to work out basically a scoring system that would work for chess. ELO was a guy? Mm.
0: Was, oh, yeah, there you go. Smart, isn't he?
2: Learning so much.
0: Yeah, okay, come on.
2: Um. And the idea was is that you want a, a system which is going to mean that if you play a game against someone else who has a point, a set of points, and you play against them, then there'll be an algorithm to work out how many points that you will lose if you lose to them or how many points you'll win yeah. if you win against them. So it's a scarce it's a scarce system because everyone has a set number of points and they get passed backwards and forwards. It's between a, a finite number. That's right, yeah. yeah. So the, the idea then is that what happens is you as as teams play one another, they should eventually over time end up in, in a in a sort of ranking that, right. that um, shows, shows you what's going on. Do there.
0: you think if you ever had a baby, you might call it ELO? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not, to
2: be honest. No. Um, okay. But yeah, so at the bottom of this screen in front of me, we've got the the algorithm for working out how many points are going to be lost when two teams or, or one, depending on yeah. who loses or wins. Um, and it, it looks very complicated, but basically it's your, your ranking points basically are the points that you have before you play um, plus... I, which is the, um, the importance of the game that you're mm. playing. So again, you're you are still getting um, weighted towards whether or not you'll get. You're playing a friendly game versus like a competitive game, uh, and then here you've got the the result. So if you win, lose, or draw. Uh, and then it can be penalty shootouts as well, which changes things as well. And then the other thing is the expected win thing here. So really simple algorithm that works out how many points you, you lose or gain.
0: Based on whether you're expected to win or not. So that's why, for example, if I play and dominate a silver-ranked player in Rocket League, I get very few points exactly because I should be beating the silver. So in this part of the mm.
2: equation, there's actually... Um, it takes into account the the rating levels of both teams involved so if you lose or win against a team that's quite close to you in the ra- ranking system then it won't be a huge points change right. whereas if you play someone who's a lot lower than you in the, in the system then it will result in a, a bigger points change yeah okay and so the big question i suppose is why are belgium second and the reason for that is they've just not really lost very often right. since they're still since good 2018 so they played 62 games since they lost in the, was it the semi-finals? Yeah, the
1: 2018 World, World Cup. World Cup yeah. but they games. played 62 games, played 62 in, games in, four years. Yeah. in four years. That's way more than I would have thought. God, there's a lot of international football. That's, that's yeah.
2: loads. Do you want to guess how many they've lost? Well, you can see it's on the board. How many board. have they lost? So un- until the, the, the World Cup started, the, um, they'd lost seven games, I think. Um, in the, of
0: those 62? Yeah. That's not many.
2: Not many at all. Mm. And it's worth saying... So we've got a list here as well. There's a couple of things to note. Firstly, the teams that they're losing to are really highly ranked, pretty much. So mm. there was a loss to Switzerland. Um, that was the first loss that they had after the World Cup. They Switzerland are currently ranked 15th. I yeah. suspect back then they may have been even ranked in the top 10. Yeah. I didn't check that out. but I think they were. Since then, all of the losses that they've had until we got to the world cup warm up stage just before this world cup so a couple like a month ago they lost in a world cup warm up to Egypt and then they lost to Morocco in the world cup as well but before that everyone was inside the top 10 pretty yeah. much and it, as i said before when you're using an elo system if you're losing to teams who are close to you you don't have you don't see much of a, a points change the other thing to notice is that a lot of these teams they're losing one game in the Nations League but then winning the other fixture so sure. they're basically swapping points backwards and forwards right. as well. Um, so
0: Belgium will forever be second? Pretty much, yeah. Wow. Seems like the system doesn't work.
1: Is that a fair criticism or am I misunderstanding? I, it just feels like it. it's, it's an imperfect system. That's all, like it's kind of, I also, it's worth remembering that, FIFA rankings are ceremonial, right? They they don't qualify you for anything. Like if you if you finish in the top whatever of the tennis rankings at the end of the year, you go and play in that tournament in the um, in the O2 Arena. It's not the same in football. You don't sort of get easier access to the World Cup, for instance, or you know it, it's um yes yeah, so I I don't have a problem with it. It just in my mind it's always the thing where when I was younger. The FIFA rankings would be released, and England would be somewhere, and everyone would be upset about it for one reason or another. Yeah, and that's what I associate with my mind. And also, um, since John started saying ELO, I've just been um, hearing Electric Light Orchestra <laughs> songs in my head and yeah. not really thinking. I've kind of glazed over a little bit. Fair enough. He has brought me down.
2: It's worth saying as well, just quickly, <laughs> that um, if we look at the actual points tables as it, as it stands, there's about forty points between Argentina in third place and Belgium in second. And I worked out how many points that Belgium probably will lose by losing in the group stages of a World Cup to Morocco. Yes. And it works out about 13 points. So they'll take negative 13 points from, from that result. Right. Which is not enough for them to drop down even to the next level on the on the on the chart. So um I guess the, the big problem seems to be that because the when they brought in the ELO ranking system, they just ported across everyone from the old system onto the new system and it it seems just it seems legitimately hard for you to really drop in any big way out of that Mm. out of the position that you're in most of these teams are in similar positions i think there's a couple of teams croatia and uruguay have dropped out but largely
1: really that's interesting
2: and even then they've just dropped into the like the top 20 so you have to pan quite hard i think to to really change your position in the Mm. the
1: you know the, the one that actually surprises me is france Like on the basis that they have performed extremely well over the last sort of, uh, since 2018, obviously winning the World Cup, but getting to, uh, they got knocked out by, uh, by Switzerland, I suppose, which damages them. But like on the basis that they have performed significantly better in terms of actual trophy hardware than Belgium, Brazil or Argentina. And yet still actually the difference between them is quite substantial still.
2: I think this is, again, comes back to what we showed before, which was that Belgium haven't really lost to any low ranked teams that often. Um, because France have, France have lost, I think, Luxembourg in, in maybe a, a qualifying game at some point or a, a Nations League game. Mm. Uh, and those are the results which really hammer your points system because there's such a big gap between, between the two, two teams. So.
0: Has that happened to Germany? Because they're not in the top 10
1: well i mean if, if you think about it they've had consecutive world cup eliminations in the group stage they've lost to yeah. as john's explained the effect of losing to a lower ranked team is actually quite significant sure um also they have um not in the recent round of games but they suffered a nation's league elimination a uh, relegation sorry um they've also had um, in england yeah in the, the, the most recently but sort of in the nation's league campaign in which um, England got to the to the finals in Portugal oh, that and that one, one okay. Germany ended up getting relegated from their group and they came back and you know well it's quite interesting
0: to look at this and think about uh, as it applies to the current uh, World Cup of course Belgium the highest team up there already out of the tournament Italy in 6th place not in the
1: tournament um, Denmark in 10th going out as well everybody else through the chat is telling me that actually seedings are based on rankings so apologies chat you're quite right of course mm, mm.
0: ok well thanks John you're welcome Shall we play Points Are Bad now? I'd like to play Points Are Bad. Should we all put our headphones on Let's and do. then cue Craig yeah. so we can listen to a nice song? Go on then, Craig. Yeah, we're going to listen now to uh, Ban Summer's version of uh, Points Are Bad, which is a lovely version. I did to it last night. It's a lovely version. It's much better than the, than the original. You've really taken to it. To it. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hit it, Craig. Points Are Bad. Really bad. Points
1: really, really bad. There we go. It's a bit nice of a again to kind of ban Summers. Lumineers vibe to that.
0: You know, don't bring us down, sir. Now, listen, points of bad time. Oof. I'm a pretty happy guy, John. I'm a pretty happy guy, but we'll come to that later. You'll know why. Now, of course, tomorrow, there's only two games. So we only have to make two predictions, which is easier than it was before. Which, of course, means today is the end of the group stages. Now, uh, some of us did okay today. Some of us did less well. I can tell you that on match day 13, with the games Ghana-Uruguay, Repub- uh, Korea-Republic-Portugal, Serbia-Switzerland, Cameroon-Brazil, we have another big loser in JJ Bull. He gained oh. 12 points today we've really put him under pressure last night to he make has predictions buckled he's buckled yeah he's buckled yeah, yeah, big yeah, time yeah, yeah. um he's at home today so he's had more time to make his predictions yeah, and yeah. i think maybe he'll do a bit better tomorrow but, i think
2: once you get on that wagon of panicking then mm-hmm. you start getting onto the oh now i need to do the equal and opposite panic the it's other way. possibly
0: that's the case listen he's picked up 24 points in the last two days Whew. another 12 today that is almost a quarter of what we all have, and we've been playing for 13 days. So he's had a real stinker. There's no other way of putting it. Uh 12 points gained. John, you've also had quite a bad day. You gained 10 points today. That's
2: mad, because I was only on two points after the first two games. Yes, so. you
0: were. <laughs> yes, you were. I've had a pretty good day. I'm on seven points hey. added. Uh, I only added one for each of the evening games, because I predicted a 2-2 in Serbia, Switzerland, and 1-1 in Cameroon, Brazil. So just one off in each of those but we have a winner today. Seb Stafford-Blois, you've only added six points today. And that perfect score in Career Republic Portugal of 2-1 mm-hmm. for Career Republic, that has earned you a win today. Very impressive. Well done. A little, little clap there for Seb Stafford-Blois. Your second win. Second, second group day win. Fine. Now, that means, Seb, you go last, of course. It means that John goes second. But it means, of course, that we first here from JJ Ball for his predictions. And for his predictions, Netherlands USA is the first game tomorrow. JJ's prediction.
1: Oh, is 2-1 to the USA.
2: He's, he's losing it, isn't he? he I have question. He's in his you own think? head. What's your question? Well, I cannot
1: remember what we did regarding like extra time and penalties oh. last time.
2: Oh yeah.
1: Oh God. I think we should have talked about this earlier, but I think let's just do school. Do you know
0: what we did? We did, we did, you can, you, I remember exactly what we did. We did this, but, but this won't be in the brilliant spreadsheet that's been worked out for okay. us. So what it is is we ignore penalties altogether. Yeah. We just ignore them. Yeah. If it goes to penalties, it goes to penalties. This is this is a purely stupid so you, game. If you based want penalties, you have to go for a draw. No, no, no. This is the thing. What we did last time was we said you could say two one, and you could say penalties. Oh, right? that's it. That's, if, that's it. If it yeah. was penalties, it would be minus another point for you. Uh, even if you said 2-1 ah, and that wasn't it okay. you know you, that your predictions didn't have to be but the issue is that the the, the, the nice chap who built this spreadsheet has not built that into it and fine. also it's a stupid stupid it's to keep, it so it's keep, it's simple. Simple. So keep it simple so you, so you just get, get to guess own.
2: each it's game whether or not it goes to penalties Don't, or not scores Don't only argue it with scores only
0: we're just, we're just guessing how many goals each team gets we're not guessing what the result of the game embrace is embrace the silliness embrace the silliness John yeah forget about it forget about it it's fine I predicted 2-2 two, two today doesn't matter if there was penalties yeah but we do take final results after extra time, okay. not at full time. So if you predict 2-2, two, two, and it's 2-2... Two, two,
2: that can't possibly happen.
0: It can. If it finishes in penalties, it's a 2-2. Two, two.
2: Okay.
0: So nobody's going to predict any draws now, are they? Hmm. <laughs> Unless that's the best possible way of...
1: Hmm. We are I, live. Yes, let's just carry on.
2: I Fine. Think. <laughs> let's carry on. We'll think
0: about it afterwards. Fine. And hope okay. there's no penalties. <laughs> there's no penalties. Uh, John, you are second to pick for Netherlands, USA,
2: please. Uh, I'll go 2-0
0: Netherlands. 2-0 Netherlands. Fine. It's me to go next. I happen to think JJ's might be onto something here, but I'm afraid.
2: <laughs> might and be so onto something say, doesn't work like that. If there's two options, it can be.
0: <laughs> I'm going to say 1-1. Okay, and I'm, penalties. I'm, it doesn't matter about penalties. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't
1: matter. It sets up a ball. You say. So I've heard that the Dutch squad has been ravaged by flu. So I'm going to say one nil USA.
0: He waited till the end before he told us that, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, it's
1: we published it on the Athletic. Well, I don't have time to read that. I'm busy. <laughs>
0: So look, it's a fantastic product, but I am busy,
1: yeah? yeah Working are. here, making yeah. stuff for it. Hey, you're, you're, you're making something pretty cool at the moment, which is coming Fair. out very soon. Making something very cool. Very cool. Yeah? yeah. Not as cool as The Athletic, but no. it's pretty, it's it's pretty, it's pretty close. cool. It's, it's
0: pretty close. cool. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Argentina, Australia. Now, let's hear from JJ. JJ wants a 2-0 for Argentina. I think that's probably going to be a fairly popular uh, idea there, John.
2: Yes. Argentina,
0: Australia.
2: 2 two 0 sounds good. I'd probably go for that myself if I could, but I well, can't. you can so I will go for. I'm going to go 3 0.
0: You're going to go 3 0. Yes. Okay. For my sins. I was thinking about saying Australia. I think that's stupid. That, that's a mistake. Is that, is that a mistake? Is that a mistake? Oh, I just feel they've got the, the weight of a nation behind them. You know, you're, you're egging me on. To, he's egging me on. That's true. He'll lose his status. He'll lose his honorary Australian yeah. status. Yeah. What about all the towns that put the image of you up? Yeah. You know, no, yeah. they'll burn it. Yeah. They will. Yeah. Okay, fine. Mount I'm gonna... Stafford
2: burn. Mount Stafford burn.
0: <laughs> I'm going to say 1-0. I think it's going to be a stodge star- a fest. A stodge fest. That's a
2: good shout, to be honest. What
0: do you think, Seb? Goal of straw. Goal of straw. That's yep. a terrible prediction. That's a terrible prediction. Because th- think about it this way, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody has to score or it's going to go to penalty. You think you think it's going to go 120 minutes with no goals? I do.
1: Yeah.
2: You say that so confidently.
1: No, I, I, it's, it's what I want to happen. He's
2: heard that both camps have been ravaged by the flu. <laughs> a goalless draw. It's like a, an episode of the Oregon Trail. Isn't it, that <laughs> both camps have been ravaged by the flu. Goalless draw.
0: Um, I think goalless draw is a, is a worry now. Because before a goalless draw was a goalless draw for 90 minutes. Now it's a goalless draw for 120 minutes with some tired players out there. Mm. That's not, that's not, I think draws are out of balance. I know I said 1-1 before, but that's just because I'm going for scores. Your hair's
2: got like a a remarkably JJ quality to it all of a sudden.
0: What about now? Is it better now? He's been
1: wearing the headphones all day, that's why.
0: Uh, It gets all, you know, He's got headphone hair. Someone said my hair was flat the other day.
1: Like fine, your personality.
0: Fine. Like, oh. yeah. Right, fine. Okay, there we go. Those are our predictions for the games tomorrow. <laughs> Only two games, of course. We'll be able to concentrate on all of them. Imagine that. That'll be nice, wouldn't it? Fine. And I can tell you that the reason I'm so happy is because... Are you no longer lost? Jonathan McKenzie. Are you I no- am no longer lost. <laughs> oh, no! I end the group stages. As the people's hero, <laughs> I end the group stages... In third place. Must on be 109 pretty close. Points. It's very close. You are breathing down the neck of the people's hero. The goblin's hero is chasing close behind <laughs> on 110 points.
2: So
0: one point behind you. One point behind. One point. Mm? And of course, I am now seven points behind Seb Stafford Bloor. In huh. first place. Who is our new leader at the end of
2: the group stages? JJ
0: has totally <laughs> oh, ruined it. How oh, that
1: makes me so happy. 104
0: oh, points. That makes JJ me so happy. So there, there, there is now, there is only eight points between first and last in this game. It's all to play for. It's never been all to play for at the end of the group stages before. JJ thrown it away like a, like an idiot, like an idiot man has thrown it away, a fool. A fool, Seb. Oh, I, I just, I, I can't
1: believe it. <sighs> love it. I love it. Are
2: you this, is, this is all part and parcel, though, of the World Cup becoming more competitive because we've never had more ridiculous results. So that your yeah. crazy predictions end up becoming true. Stupid, yeah, A stupid thing. Yeah. You read the Japan result was stupid and it came through. <laughs> see, see It's said in jest. It bothers him. No, no, it doesn't bit. bother me no, at all. No, 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 no. It It's the him. spirit of the game, and that's that's we, what we I respect most not about. not your spirit of the game. No, no I respect let that. Me, let, me you, let me tell you a little <laughs>
0: something now. Let me tell you a little inside something. now. <laughs> well, we can watch uh, if, if John has any kind of emotional reaction to this or not. But uh, John and I play Rocket League with one of our good me. friends. One of our good friends. And... <laughs> Uh, our good friend not very good at the game yeah bless him he he tries very hard but he's not that good and when he plays on my team we we win pretty regularly and when he plays on John's team all you can hear is John saying
2: why don't you do this when you're on anyone else's (laughs) team
0: yeah the world's against you, isn't it, buddy? The
2: world is against me. But yeah. I do respect the way that you play this game. Thank you. You play it from the heart, unlike J.J. Bull. That's true. I play with the true spirit of the game. Yeah, exactly. I do.
0: I embrace the chaos. There we go. Fine. Well, listen, J.J. Ball, uh, cheating is no longer working for him. He's in second place. He's going to have to find a new strategy to approach this with. And let's see if his predictions for tomorrow can aid him in developing his uh, his winning technique further. But Seb stafford another round of applause Seb. I think it's the first time you've ever been first this deep. Yeah well done thank you very much well done thank you very yeah. much cool well Seb thank you for coming thanks Joe Devine and uh, John McKenzie thanks for
2: coming yes I was contractually obliged but you're welcome <laughs> Yeah, great man. His hurt little
0: face. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> He's the common hero. Did you he get he on the camera? We got him to do Was he on the camera? <laughs> <laughs> oh, switch back to him and do no, it. No, it it's one more of time. those things where you can't oh, ever see it. It's like no. the Doctor Who episode she where he stunned move. It was funny. He did this with his hands. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, Don and Craig, thank you very much. Thank you to editor Nathan for all of your hard work. And um, is that it? Yes, it is. Goodbye. We'll oh. be back again uh, tomorrow with JJ Bull. And it says a special treat uh, and, oh, for Monday and Tuesday, uh, uh, the first of the games before the final break, the, the, the games before the, the first two break days. <laughs> uh, Seb is uh, is uh, going back to Germany, and it'll be me, John, and JJ. So look forward to a, a tactical affair. Yes? Uh, for now, au revoir. Tschüss. Afida saying goodbye.